it's it's warm. It's you know, I every year I'm like, can we just have a I don't know, like four weeks of seventies, but we're we're having one of those years where we went from winter to fifties to like eighties. Oh, 80s is really warm, isn't it, Steve? It is is for me. Okay. We're teasing because, you know, if we're in shade and it's up close to 100, we feel really good about that. Virgin Valley Artists Association welcomes you to the Art Box, recorded in our beautiful Mesquite, Nevada, and sponsored by the Virgin Valley Artists Association. Our association has something for everyone of all ages. Come and get creative with us at 15 West Mesquite Boulevard, or find us online at mesquitefineartcenter.com, or on Facebook as Mesquite Fine Art Center, also on Facebook, The Art Box. Let me introduce Monica. Because we have automatic applause uh-huh. on this cool thing. Here we are. Welcome to the Art Box. I'm Linda and Steve and Monica Tarr. And we're here today to talk about, because it's been so interesting, I've watched. Has it been two years, Monica? You with um, Almost. your yeah, horse, June. Felina? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You want to tell us a little bit about yourself? From a horse perspective, I grew up with them since I was eight. I had... A pony. I rode the neighbors' horses. You know, Will Muck stables. If you let me ride your horse, that kind of thing. <laughs> but I grew up in Southern California in a kind of deserty climate, and uh, at the time, we just did our back trail riding. I did some raining. I kind of taught myself and a few horse shows here and there, which I loved doing. But we didn't have a trailer, so I had to have friends, you know, take me to horse shows and 4-H and all of that stuff. And then I uh, took a break in college and graduating high school and jobs and things like that. So when I moved to Denver, I think I was just shy of 30. Um, I decided I would like to have a horse again. And I would like to ride dressage because that's what I always thought was super pretty. And for anyone who doesn't know, it's the Olympic discipline where they wear the tailcoat. And back in the olden days, before everyone started wearing helmets like good people, they wore top hats. So that Oh, okay. Yeah. So it's the top hats and tails event that looks like they're da- looks like the horses are dancing. Oh, okay. So you didn't so, barrel race. No, I did like play days and stuff, Jim Canna, but um, I know I've never been a speed person. I've been more of a like a dance person. So in the spirit of art, I've always been on the artsy side of the horse thing in terms of their movement. That's how I ended up doing dressage. And I did that for a long time, 15 years as an adult. Then when we moved to Idaho, I took a break again for 10 years. I was without a horse, which is a really weird feeling, but I had got kind of looney tunes about it, to be honest, as was all competition. I had, you know, ship the horse to Florida, fly down to Florida, do shows, try to score well, try to get a horse that could do Grand Prix, just be very goal oriented, which is the hyperactive left side of my brain. And that's its happy place. But I'd kind of lost the soul of the reason why I loved being around horses. And it was ridiculously expensive. So I promised my husband, (laughs) I wouldn't ask to get a horse again until I could do it with the same energy and heart that I had when I was eight. Two years ago, i told him I think I'm in that place and said okay and I made a phone call to a local trainer and said I'm ready to start looking and she said uh 
uh, bad timing. There's no inventory. We had an influx of people move here after COVID. It's like, well, keep your eyes open. She said, well, I got these like two kind of wild Andalusian mares if you want to come and look at them, but that's all I have right now and pretty slim pickings. I'm like, meh, I'll come and look. Did not plan to get a wild horse, but I saw Felina in the pen trotting around and she had amazing movement and is a small statured horse. I'm little, I'm only 5'1". I looked at Marion and I said, how much do you want? And she told me and I said, I'll take that one because there were two of them in there. And that's how Felina and I came to be. And she was, for the most part, a wild horse. Not Mustang wild, so she was kept on a ranch, but not by very nice people. So she had human interaction and it was quite negative. Didn't know the extent of it until after the purchase, but I don't regret it because I never had that experience. And I went into this one with, Whatever horse I get, I want to have a relationship with. I want to be able to ride without a bridle someday. I want to be able to do liberty work, which is just when you're standing in a space, could be an arena, pasture, and the horse follows your movement and you're communicating without any tact. For anybody who's watched Heartland, in the beginning, the main character works with a black horse in a pen with no tack on it, and that's called liberty work. And so that's a, a new aspiration of mine, and that kind of relationship was what I was after. That's how we got started. Did Felina have her name already? She did not. She had no name. She had a dreadlock tail. Nobody had ever brushed it. She had knots all in her mane, and she was terrified of people. Terrified. You couldn't get anywhere near her. She's an Andalusian, which is a Spanish breed, although she was born here in the United States. But I thought I would try to give her a Spanish name. It's kind of a funny story, but my dad loved listening to old cowboy music. And one of them was Marty Robbins. And we used to sing along together to this song that's called, I think the song is actually called El Paso, but it's a ballad about gunfighter who finds falls in love with a waitress in the tavern and then he shoots another guy out of jealousy blah 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 anyway the girl he's fighting over her name is felina and so that's how she got her name so one more question about that then cats don't know their names i don't think um dogs know their names the horses know their names I don't think they necessarily do. They similar to the other animals. They know your voice. They know the tone. You know the tone because I many times I call her Missy because uh, I started calling her Miss Felina and then I just call her Missy now. And so I'll say from my car, I'll look out towards her and I'll just say Missy, and she'll turn her head around and look. She doesn't always walk towards me, but she always looks at me. <laughs> Some days she's like, yeah, can you just go away? Yeah. <laughs> can you just put me in the pasture and leave me alone? She's very expressive. She's the most expressive animal I've ever had. When you got Felina and brought her to your house, did you think, oh my gosh, this was a crazy idea. What a, what in the world am I doing now? And, and then also a follow-up question how did you start working with her and get her to trust you? I've never worked with horses at all, so I'm all ears here. I have had a couple times where I didn't think that I made a bad decision or I've never wanted to give up. But I have made decisions that turned out to scare her or set her back. 
in terms of her being scared of, of a particular thing. And I didn't know what they were, so I had to kind of find them out by accident, trial and error. And so I've been in tears a couple times because we had setbacks and it was pretty much based on her trauma being reactivated and her ending up being scared of something. Mostly just that. But I, I told myself from the get-go... I would go as slow as was necessary and I would not that my main goal was to have a relationship with this horse and help her find what she's capable of in a space where there doesn't need to be fear because that's kind of what she grew up with I think in her encounters with people we don't know exactly what happened but we're kind of putting the pieces together as time goes on so the, those have been the main hiccup, and I usually have to find them out by accident, which makes me feel extra bad. But I'm better at preventing them than before, and I have gotten dumped once, and it was totally my fault. I Things were going great, and I literally said, let's do it one more time around. And she had had enough, and she took off, and I failed. So Oh, wow. Yeah. And, and it hurts when you're 50-something to <laughs> run away horse. Anyway, <laughs> it wasn't her fault because I kind of knew that she was at her edge. And I'm finding out that you, she's a kind of animal that you have to be really quick to notice when she's at her edge. And then you need to kind of back down instead of push against it, right? Because you want her to... to build muscle, get stronger, make it ultimately more comfortable. She just doesn't have that temperament. Um, she has zero tolerance for discomfort, and she still doesn't trust people 100%. So I'm, I'm learning that in order for both of us to feel safe, we do new things only to a point, and then we back it down to a comfort zone, and then we try again the next time. And it's working. I mean, she has developed muscle and She's learned lots of new things. She's incredibly smart. She just doesn't have the capability to grind through stuff like a different personality animal would. Same with people. Understand. When you started working with her, I'm just, if you can take me back to when you first brought her home, would she let you pet her or did you approach her with food? How do you even start working with a horse who's been abused and who is somewhat wild? Yes, I'm a learner type person. So I went and seeked out a couple of online programs that were facilitated by people who are into this thing that we call natural horsemanship. So they've studied the way horses communicate with each other. They've taken wild mustangs and domesticated them and trained them and made them safe horses. So I started watching those guys right away, got the help of a couple people who were familiar with those tactics. And sort of together, she was put into this very large stall, horse stall. You just use your body language, essentially, to try to approach them. And a lot of times, take a step forward. If they move away from you, you, you turn your back and move away from them. Like, I'm not here to threaten you. You don't look them in the face. You don't try to touch them. You just try to close the gap and get closer and closer. And for the first month, I would just bring a little stool and just sit in the stall and not look at my phone, not anything. Sometimes I would like hum little tunes or something, but mostly I just sat there quietly and just so she could smell me and, 
And so you just keep doing that until you can get close enough to touch them and you just touch them a little bit, you know, she'd run away from me. And so then she was comfortable dealing with me at a distance and she would actually do a circle around me, not freaking out, just like walk around me, but like four, four or five feet away. That was it. When I came, I would feed her and then I would put her little grain in a, in a bucket, put it about three or four feet away from me and just sit there and then slowly pull it closer until I could hold it in my lap and she would eat it. But I could, but if I touched her nose, she would walk away. <laughs> so you just keep doing that until you can get close enough to put a halter on them. That's already building a lot of trust. So then to lead them out of the pen into maybe a little arena or something, they're actually pretty good about that part because at least she was. She she didn't care about being led once we could get the halter on her and touch her and and even to this day, she doesn't like to be petted a lot. So it's really not her thing. Were you ever concerned that she would hurt you, especially at the beginning? No, because I always respected what she told me. Okay. With her ears or her nose. Like she has this thing where she really doesn't want to do something. She wrinkles up the side of her nose. It's, a, it's not something humans can do. <laughs> it, she's funny. If she thinks you're listening to her, she is pretty patient she won't always do what you want her to do or it might take longer and the other thing that has worked is that because i'm goal oriented i literally sit in my car for a couple minutes and say the outcome of today will be whatever it will be and that will be fine and if i approach her with that mindset like she's always much better Steve, you know we're interviewing a horse whisperer here, right? <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like you you had to have an incredible amount of patience and great observation skills and some good old intuitive thinking. Well, when was the first time she could be groomed? Probably after I moved her to the new place, probably not until November a year ago. And just for a little bit, and it took me probably six months or more before I clipped her in the cross ties. So, you know, when you bring them in to get brushed, you one lead rope thing on one side of the halter and one on the other side, and that's typically what you do when you groom them. But it took me a long time because the place to groom her was closed on three sides. And one of her big things that she will probably never get over is a fear of confinement. And every new thing that I introduced her to had to be done in the arena you just have to let her, and this is what the horsemanship people say, there it's a new brush, turning the clippers on, trying to get them used to a whip going over their body and a flag so they're not scared. Any of that stuff has to be done in a giant space and they have to be allowed to, to back away from you. And then the minute they stand still, you take the pressure off, like set it down, turn away, don't look at them, phase them, but you never force them to stand still into it because they're flight animals so you never interrupt that response they're allowed to move away from you so you just walk with them like okay you want to back up the entire length of the arena that's fine well you, you learned quite a bit didn't you i did yeah yeah and if you listen and you watch and you don't get tied to a certain outcome you can read them pretty quick actually i, I guess it helps being retired <laughs> or, or are you retired? Am I making an assumption? 
No, I'm still working. I'm I'm a health coach by day, but I, I coach people for a living. That's the other thing. And I'm a yoga teacher. So I couldn't have had a horse like this before yoga teacher training and coach training and things like that. Because I've had to increase my own awareness and intuitive powers for myself. What am I doing? What are my behaviors? What do I need to change? What's difficult? And giving yourself grace. And if you can't give yourself grace, you probably can't give it to another being. And I couldn't have done that. Wellness coach and yoga, that's not working. (laughs) When I I say working, I'm thinking of contact centers and conference calls and corporate training and no, that's what no. I mean by work. Steve, when was yeah, last? and it, which actually would make the horse thing quite a bit harder because you you leave work with a certain stress level. <laughs> yes, you do. Steve, when was the last time you were in a yoga class? Um, how would you like to say never? I'm thinking that because yoga is a lot of work. Is it? Oh my gosh, yes. Yeah, but it's not like work, work. Oh, okay. I think. I don't no, know. It's, I guess it's, I can't it's, say. it's an antidote to work, actually. Uh, there you go. <laughs> but it, I mean, it is physical, but it is also very mental, but in an intuitive way. I know Linda's yeah. thinking, Steve, I don't see you at the rec center, so shut up. <laughs> <laughs> well, I owe you a Zoom yoga class then, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. He. Yes, I would I'll, like. I'll I'd try like to. I'll try to fit it in. <laughs> so, Monica, do you consider that this relationship you've developed with a wild horse and an art, or not, and why? I hadn't thought of that until you guys sort of spurred that thinking, but I do. From the respect, and this is coming from a left brain person, but I have art that is strong in my family just skipped over me obviously so not a, but <laughs> well in the like paintbrush kind of okay yeah there you go <laughs> yeah and then i was saying to somebody i think in my coach training we were doing this character strength survey thing and creativity was one of the character strengths and i started laughing i'm like yeah that's going to be number 25 on mine and I was talking to this gal afterward, and she goes, you need to read the definition in this particular context is character strength people. So I read it, and she said, so now do you think you're creative? And I was like, well, I think I have more creativity than I gave myself credit for. She said, you're a really good problem solver, and that's a form of creativity. And I was like, oh, Never thought about that, but I am a good problem solver. I do have to problem solve with this horse because sometimes things, I go in with an idea or something I saw from a video and it just doesn't work for whatever reason. Or she had this weird thing going on where she was just super unbalanced on one side. And I'm like, how, what can I do to fix that? Because I don't have a trainer where when I was doing dressage before I had a trainer they rode the horse half the week and i took lessons the other half the week so you don't really have to problem solve in that instance because you always have an expert i think the problem solving capability where i have to say okay i tried this it didn't work what are the other choices what is it that would actually fix the problem and then what could we do in order to do that and is it not going to make her 
lose her confidence. And then the other thing is the intuition. All the traditional artists that I know are really intuitive people. So intuitive. And many times I have some clients like this that they literally can't, they can't do list type stuff. Like if, if something has to be done in a linear way, their eyes cross and they clench their teeth and their brain looks like it wants to explode. I, I think that the creativity has been fostered in different ways. And to me, getting a 1200 pound animal to softly bend around your leg and do a circle or a serpentine with no reins is a form of art. Yeah, I would oh, say. Oh, absolutely. The movement. Yeah. And on there are days when I can do that with her. And she's only, I've only been riding her off and on since last fall with some big breaks because she had an ulcer and other things came up. I broke my wrist and whatnot. It, I think the movement in just the movement by itself, I find artistic. And for us to be able to sit up there and ask them to do a movement and they execute it and also to stay out of their way so we don't mess it up is really, really hard and really beautiful. How was it coming back after those breaks, you said? I didn't know about the ulcer or your wrist. Well, it was really hard. I and mean, the wrist was extra hard because it was a exceedingly stupid thing that I was doing. And then it, I had to have a cast. I didn't have to have surgery, but I'd have a cast. So it, it was a solid 10 weeks before I could be sort of back to normal in the wow. way I handled her. Yeah, like I had to, it was my left hand, my left wrist. So I had to be really careful because you never know if a horse is going to bolt sideways or rear up or do whatever. So I had to be really thoughtful that I never had a lead rope or anything in my left hand, you know, it could drape over my forearm, but that was it. So, and I had to keep her moving, keep exercising. So that was pretty good, humbling experience. By the way, I was riding my husband's new one wheel in his shop and I fell down. Oh, Oh, you know what? I had a dream last night that I had a one wheel. Yeah. I think I know what you're talking about. One wheel, right? Yeah. yeah. I don't recommend not wearing wrist guards. Uh, Okay. So that's the last time I rode the one wheel. It was was a dream, and it was last night. It was like, because I saw somebody on TV or something. I was like, oh, I really like to do that. And then maybe it wasn't a dream, but it was something that I was like, oh, you better not do that, Steve. And now you just told me, oh. You better not do that, Steve. <laughs> you better not do that. No. Maybe in the dirt with bubble wrap or something. <laughs> yeah, not on a concrete floor. That, that one I don't recommend. And then the ulcer, I didn't know, but it happened in January. I moved her from one barn to another, and she does not do change very well, and she does not get in the trailer well either. So it was super upsetting. She did the move okay. She kind of shuts down and gets less expressive. When she was acclimated and coming back, she was just doing weird stuff. Like I had finally had a lesson on her. The riding was going well. And then in the middle of a ride, boom, she just stops cold. No. So I kick her lightly, like, you know what to do to move forward. No. Ears back, warning bucks. I'm like, what is going on? Took me a while to figure that out. Truth be told, I contacted my a friend of a friend who's an animal communicator. She's the one who helped him figure it out. That took about six weeks to heal for her. What do they have to do to heal that? Just medicine? 
They can give a medicine, which would be like for us, a proton pump inhibitor, like a Pepsid or something like that. But that shuts the acid down completely, which as with people, it's not a good idea. It's not a long-term solution. It's a, a supplement. She has to have alfalfa because it has this chemical in it that's good for their stomach. And she should never, ever be without hay. Well, no horse should. They graze, they're supposed to graze for at least 18 hours. So if they don't have hay in their stomachs, the acid accumulates. Okay, so now I can ask a, a question. I'm sorry, I should ask more about the acid, but how long does a horse sleep? And do uh, they and, and do on, they sleep and do they sleep standing up? They do. They doze standing up like a cat nap for a horse. Um, they sleep sleep laying down, but not very long. Their gut is not designed to be flat um, for very long. Yeah, you'll see them like with one leg, well, usually one back leg, kind of cocked and resting, and then they'll switch and they'll hang their head low. Yeah, they doze for six ish hours. And then they eat for the rest of the <laughs> Wow. But, you know, in, a, in the wild, they're moving. And that's the other thing. Just like people, they their digestive system works better if they're moving. And how old do horses live to be? They can live to be easily late 20s, some into their early 30s. Really? Wow. Yeah. So this is the last horse I'll ever have. Why do you say that? You're still a youngster yet. Ha. Yeah. Yeah. Compared to others. <laughs> it's all relative. Of course, that would mean that. You know, so, how how old is Felina now? Uh, she's probably six. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. So I could see why you would. I guess getting a second horse, because I have friends who have multiple horses. That's yeah. that's not in your plans. Not unless we were fully retired and I could have them at home. But I don't. I she's boarded and she's actually boarded a forty minute drive away. Oh really? Way. So it's a three hour. Uh, commitment every time i go for what six days a week usually well yeah. can can you guys take vacations can someone else go or oh yeah there that's part of the reason she's boarded is that they they do the basics they clean up after them they feed them um in the winter they take them in and out you know if you're if you have your horse on an indoor stall they'll take them out put them outside for four or five hours a day so they they do look after them they'll call the vet if you're not there if it's necessary so i don't need to worry about that part of it if we go away which is nice will felina let anyone else ride her or is she a one woman horse she's a one person horse right now mm -hmm. um she's just still learning things and she's just so sensitive and i kind of had a goal this time around not that i wouldn't seek the help of people like i have you know i have had a lesson on her from the lady i bought her from and i would love to take her eventually to other places where i can do clinics with professionals and get some feedback but i really wanted to do this by myself and in North Idaho, there's not gobs of support for dressage. And ultimately, I'd love to do working equitation with her. But that's most of those trainers are down south by Boise. And that's a six-hour drive. We'll see what we're able to do with the help of others. Uh, eventually, I'd love her to be safe enough that somebody's kid can get on her, and et cetera. And I could probably do that today. And have Robert walk next to her and I could lead her. And then if she spooked or something, he could grab the kid. But she's not a terribly spooky 
or she's not genuinely afraid of that many things. She's just, she gets tense very easily. And that, that's, if you're on a tense horse that does spook, that's when it's difficult to stay on. So, Monica, we've talked about what you do being a form of art. Can you explain your art truth as you see it? I think what it has become is to, first of all, to be open to whatever it is that day or that moment, because the moment may pass, but a moment in itself can be glorious. So I try really hard not to get attached to those moments also, and that it's okay if it's extraordinary one minute and falls into a big heap of jello. <laughs> My art truth is acceptance, intuition, trust, and not forcing. Like, I was laughing one day, told somebody, yeah, I usually go to the barn with, with a soft plan. <laughs> <laughs> These are the things I think that it would be nice to work on today. And then I try. And if it's not the day to work on that, then, you know, I mean, there's been days where I had plans that we were going to do a certain something or we were going to try to do something a little harder than we did last time. And I get there and she's, especially early spring, she's totally bananas. Like her feet are barely on the floor. So I'm like, guess that's not what we're doing. I guess you're just <laughs> going to run around in the arena until you burn some of this off. And so there are days like now, She's. it seems like the ulcer's acting up a little bit. She Yesterday she sees me come toward her with the saddle pad and the saddle, and she starts kind of prancing around in the cross ties and looking at me with a sideways look, a little bit of whites in her eyes. And I just walk up to her and I said, you know, I'm never going to hurt you. I'm never going to hurt you. I'm just going to put the saddle on. And I'm not going to get on unless you say it's okay. But we're going to work with the saddle on and the bridle. And I'm going to stand on the ground. And then she saddled down. But it's just really interesting because this is not my natural personality, by the way. I am much more like, here's the list. We're getting the list done. Da, da, da. We have a goal. We're marching towards the goal. And this horse plus other life experiences have just teach me every day that the beauty of the art of doing this or riding gracefully is that is the moment that you don't think about it, where it's 100% feel and you're literally, you can think, whoa, and the horse stops. And it does happen. Not every day. Not multiple times a day sometimes. But even with a young, super green bean horse like her, there have been times where I went in and I said, the only thing you're going to think about is your is your position. You're going to keep your body in perfect order. And you're not even going to care what the horse does. You're going to ask certain things. But you're not going to try to move her around too much. And that was the day that I thought, whoa. And she stopped. I did nothing. So those are, to me, those are the, the days where the art shines through, where nothing is forced, and it's just the two of you communicating with very little um, gadgets. Like, you could take all the gadgets off, and it would still work. Where do you get your ideas for the movements that you do with the horse and the grissage? So 
dressage is somewhat helpful in that area because they have specified tests they're actually called tests for every level and you're meant to start at the lowest level and work your way up and only when the horse is ready and at at each level a little more complexity comes in and it's supposed to be based on the horse's capabilities to do it and the rider so it's a kind of a gymnastic way to ride where the both people are bodies are morphing so that they can handle more complexity much like yoga i call it yoga for horses some of my ideas come from knowing how the tests progress and understanding where she's at some of my ideas come from people that i'm following and have purchased their courses that's where i get most of my ideas as far as art in your house i know because i've seen pictures out your back window, which is um, <laughs> like Coeur you probably don't need to hang any art in your house because your, your back picture window is an ever-changing piece of art. Yes. And the way the house is built, every room in the house has that view up to some extent. Yeah, so, you, yeah, our goal is to draw people's eyes out um, versus in. I like to buy art from places that we've gone on vacation. Yeah, me too. I do. Yeah, I have I have some equestrian art, but not a lot. Uh, some of, uh, most of it is antique. I'm looking in my office right now. I have started buying art. My my um, my line in the sand is: if it makes you stop in your tracks, go out to your car, and come back in, you can buy it. That's that's a good way to think of it. Yeah, good yeah. advice. Yeah. So I, I those are the, now those are the pieces that I have and and then there are other like we have this beautiful stone fireplace but there's so many different colors in the stones we have yet to find a piece of art that fits there so that's our other tactic is we don't force it if it's if we don't love it or it doesn't fit where we want to put it not that art has to match your sofa cuz I don't believe that but you know that space needs a particular piece of art because just because of the way the stones overtake everything then we just leave it blank we don't put anything up the kind of art are you usually drawn to abstract impressionistic realism i have a little bit of everything but this is interesting the older i get the more i appreciate abstract i used to be a very realistic person and i do love photography it's very ghosty I do actually, I'm not just saying that because you're on the podcast. I really do like photography. I like art that kind of also that tells a story. So it can be watercolor or um, a sketch or it can be kind of any medium. But if it tells a story, it's a little bit more like a sequence. I'm looking at the one in my office right now, which is an Alaskan, done by an Alaskan lady. And it's, it looks like it's watercolor and she is telling native in you know each print tells a story about a native activity like ice fishing whaling reindeer hunt the dog sledding and they're grouped those four things are grouped together and i just get a kick out of that i smile every time i see it and and i really enjoy sculpture
you have siblings? I do. I'm the only one who had a horse, but my second oldest sister, she's 10 years older than me. She's an extremely gifted artist, very gifted. My oldest sister is a master gardener, so she practices her art in the garden, and she's very good at it. Even though she's another left-brained person, she has become extremely gifted in her gardening. And then my then me, I do the horse thing. And my brother was also a very gifted, more sort of traditional sketch painting type artist. And my mother's dad was a painter. He painted, so he was born in 1901, and he and his brother ran a painting shop back in the ancient times when they had to hand paint uh, delivery trucks and safes. Really? Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Sounds like a lot of artistic genes in that family, huh, Steve? It sure does. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure my dad had perfect pitch. He played about five instruments and never, ever took a music lesson. Really? You know, yeah. It's, it's Weird a, it's instruments, a, too. It's like amazing. the electric guitar. It's amazing the number of artists who have no formal training. Yes. At least that we interview. Yes. Yes, I think it's, it, it's I, lo- I danced a little bit just for fun in college, and I loved, well, and out of college, so when I had my like, first real job, I loved going there because I loved being around those people whose, in their soul, they were dancers. Like they, I'm not sure they could fathom not doing it. Like it, they would, they might curl up and die if they couldn't dance. And I, I thought, wow, it must be really cool to have that kind of spirit in that it just like burbles out. I loved being around those people. I guess, and the live performance people, the performing arts folks, are they're a different breed. Mm-hmm. And there's always a lot of. A lot of inspiration, a lot of excitement, a lot of energy. Yes. Yes. And they're sort of werewolves. They do everything right. (laughs) (laughs) As do developers. That's true. And and that is, most developers I know are, have a creative outlet off, you know, off work. They're, you know, I think people think that those folks are very left brain, but most of the ones that I know that were, you know, really good and really good at making the software jump through hoops, they were very creative people and oftentimes did some sort of creative thing. And, and certainly, certainly an art in itself. Turning towards the future, what excites you about Felina and what's next? Tactically, I would really love to get her over the fear of a trailer in case I need to take her somewhere. <laughs> She's so terrified of it. it breaks my heart. Um, what, does she, what does she do when you put her on a trailer? And I guess it's only been, what, twice? It's only been one, two, three times, twice with me. Well, it's quite a hassle to get her on. I mean, that's a miracle in and of itself to get all four feet on. She just quivers. You can tell she's just 
she's just terrified. Hmm. She'll get her two feet on and she'll she'll just shake. It breaks your heart. Mm, it does. Something really bad happened to her in a confined atmosphere. And the minute she feels confined, it's just like super scary. So I would like to get her. My biggest thing is that I am the place that she knows when she's with me, she is always safe. And, and that will make her a safe horse. And we'll have lots of fun together when, when she feels as though she's always safe with like I have her back all the time it, including I'm not going to push you past your limits just up to them I, I would love someday you guys will have to google this this is my big thing that I would love to be able to do with her is this thing called working equitation which came to be out of the ranching and bullfighting traditions of Spain and Portugal so she's built for it because it originated, you know, with Andalusians and Lusitanos that come from that area. But it's a three-day thing. You do one day is a dressage test. The next day is a whole bunch of obstacles, like a bridge and a gate and a, all these things you have to serpentine around and a little jump. And so it's basically to emulate obstacles you would find on a working ranch. Water. There's a water obstacle. And you have to do that one for style, and you have then you have to do the same course again at speed, and then the third day you have to you draw a number out of a hat, and then that corresponds to a number on a cow, and there's multiple cows in an arena, and you have to cull that cow out of the herd and push it to a pen. That's oh. what I'd like to do with her. That would be quite yeah, a but, job. <laughs> yeah, Google working equitation and and uh, or go on youtube and you can watch a couple better short little three or four minute videos but see if you, if you can find the portuguese guy who does it it's jaw-droppingly beautiful oh, interesting we'll have to get that link for you so we can put it up on your page when we build it yeah I'll, I'll find a good one i'll send it to you okay monica we ask all our guests to answer the same question for us at the end of each episode so here it is what has inspired you this week Ooh, the sky. Our late spring skies are beautiful because it's not fire season yet. So the fluffy clouds, the the difference in the clouds, you know, sometimes they'll just be flat, striated things, and sometimes they're poofy like cotton balls. And that's very inspiring to me because we go a pretty solid six months with no sun. So that that's really inspiring and energetically gets gets you going i'm inspired every day by that horse even on the days that don't go well it or that don't go as planned like i mm -hmm. seriously wish she didn't have the ulcer acting up right now but she's still you know she could turn around and kick me in the face and she doesn't hmm. so that it's inspiring to have a bond with an animal that was terrified of you two years ago and comes when you call her now. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Well, we want to thank you for being on our podcast today. It's been a pleasure talking to you. I learned so much about horses. Yeah, me as well. Our listeners are going to love this because it's not something that they hear. Even though we're out west and there's horses, 
Yeah. I, I don't know that any of our art gallery people do horses. They may draw horses. but they Which have, is very difficult. Yeah, but it sounds like what you're doing is even more difficult. So, And yours is sure. more a labor of love. Yeah, it's a little bit of a performing art in a sense. Yeah, perfect. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just a, it's just a nice feeling to watch. Um, it's the same feeling I get from coaching clients too, you know, to watch another person put their trust in you and then, uh, you know, by doing things together, somebody makes a transformation. And, and, and you know what, Mona, we, we should talk about this. You want to tell us a little bit about your business and give us some links and a little PR for yourself there? Oh, <laughs> thanks. Um, really quickly, I uh, do health coaching to help people prevent the causes of Alzheimer's, which runs in my family. Uh, my mom, her two sisters, my second oldest sister, and my grandmother all had or have Alzheimer's. If I go down with it, it'll be because I'm going down swinging. So the good news is they're pretty sure they understand some of the root causes. So I coach people to prevent the root causes and it's really never too early to start it can start with little kids oh and that's wow probably the best time to start mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah tell us more well it's a um it's mostly lifestyle stuff i know people hate to hear that but truly you know five out of the seven things this researcher says to focus on are, is all lifestyle to you know eat in a specific way, get your booty off the couch and exercise. And there's some strategy to that and what you do. Try to stay away from toxic stuff, pesticides, plastics, moldy homes, you know, mercury, lead, cadmium, all that stuff. Uh, Have a community around you that supports you. Try to keep your stress down, devotional practices, all those things that help you keep stress at a reasonable level challenge your brain and actually art is a really good way to do that whether it's musical or performance or something creative with your hands and we always recommend anybody who you know hasn't pottery or painting or music or something like that that's always a great way to get the brain working so that's what we work on with these folks yeah that's great and and that's certainly pertinent to our audience not that our audience yeah. is old or anything, but <laughs> we we do live yes. in a we do live in a elder community. Do you have a website? I do. It's called restoreandrenew.com. Okay. Yeah, we'll do that. Now I tell my wife that I know she gets mad at me for sitting for hours and hours editing podcasts, but I tell her I'm helping ward off Alzheimer's by editing podcasts. Yeah, there you go. Right. Mm-hmm. Yes, and you're building a community. That's a big one. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, although she says I'm behind the computer more now than when I work. So, and that might be oh, true, uh, but I'm having fun. Yes, and I see you out in the desert cleaning things up and removing graffiti and all of that. So, it all counts. Well, Monica, thank you so much. I really appreciate this. Um, it, it was a, a little bit different for us, and I, I really liked it. And that's what we're trying to be. We're trying to be talk about people, good people, mm-hmm. and not so much art. But it's funny how it all goes back to art, doesn't it? It does. Yeah, like 
life as art is sure a lot more enjoyable than the other way around. And guess what we just hit? One hour. Wow. Okay. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Monica. Yeah, Monica, have, You're very have a good welcome. day. Tell Robert I said yes. hi. I will. Nice to meet you, Linda. Thank you. And Felina, too. <laughs> she'll be like oh those guys yeah i haven't listened to their podcast <laughs> right, exactly all right thank At you least she doesn't have any to-do items thank you <laughs> bye now Bye-bye. hey linda monica was pretty good huh oh that she was fantastic and i learned so much about horses yeah i mean i don't know anything about horses except they're pretty right right on tv tv <laughs> But that how she started with that uh-huh. and she's working. And I've had the advantage that I've we're friends on Facebook and her husband puts up videos uh-huh. just about every week of where they're at and uh-huh. it's been kind of fun to watch. And I learned another new word. Grissage. Had you ever heard of that before? I had not, but I've seen them. Quite an art form with horses. Yeah. What's inspired you this week? Hey. It's been a great week, and I was really inspired last night. You know, Terry Wayne Project, the band out of Las Vegas, is at the Casa Blanca this week. And they were playing great music, and it was really wonderful because this group of young guys were there. They were at a a stag party, and the gentleman getting married works at Zion National Park. In fact, they all do, and his wife is works at Zion, and they're getting married at Zion, but they were just there having such a great time. There was so much energy and so much fun, and everybody was electrified. Oh, and another, there was a lady, she must have been at least 94, and she was out, she could barely walk, but she was out there dancing, and dancing to all the, the young songs and everybody got around her and clapped and you know there's so much energy and excitement and respect and just a value for each other no matter what you do together whether it's hiking or dancing or doing art and and that's always inspiring to me but last night it was especially inspiring there's hope for the human race right right What's inspired you this week, Steve? Uh, was our interview, besides our interview with Monica, that was excellent, but our interview with uh, Nicholas. Oh, yes. Uh, Nicholas' interview was great. Mm-hmm. He was a nice person. I've a lot of things in my head that I think, gee, what can I do? I've learned that you can not do much, but you can bring awareness. And I liked also that his art was, it wasn't meant to be beautiful. It was meant to be thought-provoking. So that's inspirational that there's people like Nicholas. Yes, absolutely. And Monica and that 95-year-old lady dancing to the Terry Wayne Project last night. And the kids having such good, clean fun. Yeah. It was was fun to see all of that. So life is fun. I wish I was 24. (laughs) I enjoy being where I am. I like being retired, having time to do fun stuff like the podcast and my, my art. You know, when we were young, we all worked so hard all the time. Yes, we worked hard. Mm-hmm. So, in a lot of hours. And one other thing that inspired me what? was that you got up to Fallen Rock Cave. Okay? And, I yeah. liked, and I liked your story of how you got mm-hmm. there. And then I liked your pictures. I got to see Fallen Rock Cave. Yeah. God, it's just so great. 
It is. It's museum quality petroglyphs. And, you know, that was quite uh, inspirational for me as well because I was with a best friend who helped me um, get through some personal challenges. I picked up a snake. Yes, you did. It was dead, but still, it was a a non-smelly steak. It was hit by the side of the road, and, you know, I've never done that before. It was a large gopher snake, Great Basin gopher snake. It was really interesting. The skin was so soft. I hadn't expected that. And then my good friend also encouraged me to challenge myself to actually get up into that cave because it's quite difficult to do no matter how you do it. And I have to say it was more intimidating to me than uh, hiking up Angel's Landing. Oh, was it really? It was. Because I've said that I've done Fallen Rock Cave Mm -hmm. the first time, and I said never again. Mm -hmm. And then I had somebody wanted to go, so I did it again, Mm -hmm. and I said never again. I know. And I will say, I'm not going to say never, never say never. I'm already thinking about the next time. Yeah, I just think about the drop, about 40, 50 feet drop from there. Yeah, that's true. No matter how you get there, there's, there's a huge drop. I would caution that only really good hikers attempt that, and I don't include me in that group. I was going to say, I don't, I don't include me either. <laughs> yeah, so this is Linda and Steve coming to you from the Mesquite Works Steam Center studio, and we probably have some adventures in our souls, so we hope we'll be back for the next episode. Absolutely. I look forward to this so much, Steve. Thank you. All right, Linda. Bye. Bye. Broadcasting from Mesquite, Nevada, in the scenic Mojave Desert, the Art Box sponsors thank you for listening. To find our next and past podcasts, find us online at mesquitefineartcenter.com, where all accompanying images and links are available on the Art Box page. Questions, comments, opinions, and concerns can be sent to artboxvv at gmail.com. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are solely those of its hosts and guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of the Virgin Valley Artists Association.